from roommates to co-hosts, this is the BS Sports Show with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner, your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the pause. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the BS Sports Show. I am Brendan Azoff. Joining me in just a moment is Stefan Rosner, and today's show is action-packed. We got a special guest in Rachel Nones coming on, a writer for the Hockey Writers who works with me covering the New York Rangers, and we also have so much stuff to dive into. It was a little bit of a controversial week for the NHL. Uh, not good news there on, on that front with regarding a draft pick, but before we dive into all of that stuff, we want to send out our condolences to Joey Moss, the locker room attendant for the Edmonton Oilers, longtime locker room attendant. He's been there since Gretzky was around. And from just the overwhelming amount of grief on Twitter from players, coaches, and even fans, it really shows how impactful this man was to that community and, and a beloved figure in Edmonton. Yeah, and you look at hockey as a sport, and we all think, you know, we look at other sports on the league and we go, you know what? Hockey is one of those sports where it truly is a family atmosphere. One person falls down, everyone's there for support. When the Oilers had a draft pick that passed away a couple of years ago or yep. last year. Kobe year, Cave. Kobe Cave. It was this year, right? Uh, yes, I think it was the offseason. I mean, it doesn't matter what happens. Everyone's there to support one another. This guy seemed like, uh, you know, always had a smile on his face, went to work every day. That He was beloved, like you said. And it's, it's a sad, sad, sad loss. It really is. But now we'll dive into it, starting with our segment, That's BS. And the first one is a really interesting one. Todd Bertuzzi said to the media, basically, quote unquote, that he's sorry he's a douche. He said, I was too hard. I told you guys, sorry if I was a douche. And uh, it's an interesting time for him to uh, say that because we all know that the big part of his career was his incident with Moore, where he slammed his head into the ice, had that whole thing. And he had that tearful apology where people weren't really sure if he was apologetic or if he was just doing it to try to reduce his suspension. But he's been controversial his whole time. And he basically told the media that all he wanted to do was play hockey and he didn't care what they wrote about him. So he didn't give them the time of day. And, and now after his career is a convenient time for him to apologize and try to lighten the mood there. So maybe he could have a career in media himself. I mean, that's, that's the only thing you could think of because yeah. there's no reason to apologize. We know athletes that just, you know, some athletes, you, you know, you think post-game, well, why are they answering the questions like this? Why are they doing that? It's like they're hockey players, not public speakers. Some of these guys can't talk in front of each other, and that's uh, in front of people, and that's okay because they're not paid to do that. But he did end it with a very funny uh, quote, which I'll read is, he pulled back a little bit and he said, I'm sorry for being a douche, but he made, he called out two writers, uh, Toronto media. He said, Cox and Simmons are two donkeys that don't know anything. I don't consider them sport writers. They're complete cowards. They just write opinions without ever confronting me or looking me in the eye when I showed up. And Brendan, when I was younger and I was apologizing and I used the word, but I was taught that whatever you said before the, but doesn't mm -hmm. matter. So I like that he apologized. It's great. And then he calls these two guys out. So clearly these guys he really did not like. And, um, I mean, they've both been talked about for their takes. And, you know, Toronto's a, a hot sector for hockey. You all know that. And they write for Toronto and they're sport fans of Toronto. But, yeah, doesn't like Cox and Simmons. I mean, not a lot of people like Simmons. There's a lot of beef with him around the NHL community. And, I mean, you just look on Twitter every day. You search his name and it feels like there's something new that pops up regarding him. But, like you said, it was a little bit of a backhanded apology and it's a great Game of Thrones scene, too, when they say everything after the word but is that's where the truth starts, right? So 
how apologetic is he? We don't know. Uh, at the same time, good for him maybe to turn over a new leaf a little <laughs> late on that. But uh, we'll see if he now pursues a career in media, because to me, that's what it kind of looks like when somebody issues an apology at this stage after their career is long done. And maybe now they're looking to get into media and they don't want to have any bad relationships or feelings out there. You know what he should do? What? He should work for player safety. Uh, I mean, every single former tough guy now works for Paros. player safety. Paros, yeah. Was a, an NHL enforcer. All he did was dir- not dirty. I mean, it was his job to fight people. But yeah. it's, a guy like Bertuzzi could easily I'd, I'd love it if he was the one picking out suspensions for players and fines after what he He should have to. He should I have mean, like a two years where you must complete. Like those those guys like that are the ones that know the law, right? Oh, I mean, they yeah. know how to push it, go on the letter of it, go right over that edge. So they're usually the ones that make the best safety enforcers, ironically enough. But I think Bertuzzi would actually be a very good one. He knows what to look exactly. for, especially after his incident. Exactly. Um, speaking of going over the edge or close to it, we got some major issues in Arizona. First off, you're a Coyotes fan. It's just been downhill since your GM decided to bail on you. Right before the playoffs, everything with Taylor Hall joining the team and not being Taylor Hall. Then you have the recruits doing that illegally. It's just been a it's been bad crapshoot, but it gets a lot worse. And um, Mitchell Miller, third round pick this year, their first pick in the draft. He's got some issues, and I'll just read it quickly now. So four years ago, Miller admitted in an Ohio juvenile court to bullying Myers Crothers, a African American kid with Down syndrome. Um, or excuse me, with uh, disabilities. And he was tricked into licking a candy push pop that Miller, another boy, had wiped in a bathroom urinal. Myers Crothers had to be tested for hepatitis, HIV, and STDs, but the test came back negative, fortunately for him. He constantly called him Brownie and the N-word while repeatedly hitting him. And this is where it gets really worse, is the fact that he pretended to be my friend and made me do things I didn't want to do. In junior high, I got beat up by him. Everyone thinks he's so cool that he gets to go to the NHL, but I don't see how someone can be cool when you pick on someone and bully someone your entire life. Yeah, it's it's bad. First off, it's worse because um, Coyote's president and CEO, Xavier Gutierrez, was named to the NHL's Executive Inclusion Council, a group the league said will focus on combating racism and fostering diversity in the sport. So not only did your... CEO just get voted into that, but now you draft. This is no, this happened prior to getting drafted. They draft a kid after the fact, and I'm pretty sure it was after the fact. And this is you, first of all, you can't have this. And what happens to this player now? I don't know. Do you believe in second chances? Yes, but I don't. In this case, it's tough well, because it really is. I, I mean, like you said, it did happen before, it happened when he was 14. So you say, okay, he was younger. But he issued apology letters to every single NHL team before the draft saying he's matured, but never apologized to the kid which the incident occurred with, right? He never issued an apology to the, the person he bullied. And we can't be naive and think bullying doesn't happen. Bullying happens all the time. It's, it's just typical growing up things. But then there's levels to it. And this is as extreme a bullying case if you've ever seen, especially with the racism involved. And like you said, the Coyotes have a member in Xavier Gutierrez who was just named to a high board. And that's supposed to be fighting against this type of issue. So for them to have knowledge of the incident and still draft him, it kind of sends a mixed message to fans, something that has been going on this whole time in the NHL bubble when all this diversity and inclusion issues have come to light. First of all, if you bully someone, you're weak. You're mentally weak. I don't know if you're fit to play at the highest level of hockey. Obviously, yes, it was years ago. 
Could he have matured? Sure. I mean, I was bullied growing up. Kids that bullied me, I've talked to now. We've gotten over it. It's fine. Not once was there a court case against anyone that bullied. The fact that I had to go to a court and this kid, not that this kid was bullied and everything like that, that's terrible. But now he watches that kid get drafted and everyone's applauding him and saluting him for being, oh, an amazing hockey player, amazing. He has to watch this kid now, quote-unquote, playing the NHL after knowing what he did to him. I mean, he can say all he wants. Myers Crothers is the guy that he bullied. But he can't put into words the years of what it was like to go through this and now see this. It's just – and then the league has to look back and go, yes, it happened a while ago, but look what we're look at the message we're sending. We're sending a message that's clearly stating that, yes, if it happened, but we're okay with it now, he's gotten better. But for that kid that has to go well, see him now, I feel so bad for him. And I think that you can apologize all you want. Actions speak louder than words, and I'm not willing to – forgive a guy that had to have police involved in a bullying situation. I think that is complete BS to me. And the question is though, can Arizona, would Arizona be willing to cut him now? They knew going in when they drafted him that he'd done this. So now why would you cut him? You already knew this. I don't think you should have, I don't think he should have been drafted to begin with, but you know, hockey's a business. You want to get a player that's good. They thought this player was good enough to get taken in the third round. It's really tough Again, like you said, we're trying to combat racism in the sport. And you pretty much just re you know reverse that by grabbing a guy and picking a guy that clearly is prejudiced and made wrongful actions towards this African-American kid. So I think it's really messed up. I think Arizona has to think back now because this information wasn't out there when he was drafted. Like you said, though, he sent messages. Oh, it was. Teams, it was. But not to this, not as prevalent as it is right now. No, no. Every single team was made aware of this. Before the Every draft. single team knew that there was a court case. The Vancouver Canucks, they just didn't disclose it to the media, obviously, exactly. for his reasons. But they knew, and they still drafted him with all the stuff that's already been going on. And the thing that makes this so tricky is nobody's going to justify this kid's actions, correct? No, but at the same time, he is only 18. So do we now completely blackball him from a sport or forever and say, because of your actions, you can't play regardless of how wrong they are? Or do we say, listen, you did something so terrible. Most people, uh, I mean, pretty much everybody would never do something to this level. And you're going to have to pay the price for what you did. And you're not going to be allowed to play in this league because it's tough. You're basically, you're telling a kid now who's 18 that he will never live out his dream because of what he did, which granted, is justified based on this. I mean, I've never seen a bullying case get this far into court with all the types of, he had to get STD tests because of where the push pop was. I mean, this is ridiculous. And it's really, you could be ruining two lives because he ruined the Meyer Cor- uh, Crothers live with what he did to him at that age. And now you could be ruining this kid's life because by telling him he can't play in the NHL. So this is an ultimate lose, lose situation. And no matter what happens, I, I will see why they did it. And obviously Arizona standing by who they drafted, but it's a terrible look and it's a terrible thing that he did. So I think you have to suspend him right now and definitely make him go places and learn and, and interact with people of disability and show that he's changing and do community service and do these types of things to show that he's bettering himself and bettering the community, make him go to the person that he victimized and apologize. Right. And then maybe you can give him his chance to play. But right now, there is no way he should be stepping on the ice. I completely agree. And I even think that an apology at this point to the kid is years too late. Years too late because now you're just doing it because the league's telling you you have to. 
And this kid's going to see right through that. We, we all will see right through an apology. Like you said, how, how much did Todd Bertuzzi really apologize to me? It seemed like he apologized a little bit. You know, he just wanted to get that monkey off his back because it's clearly been in his head for his whole career that he treated the media like crap. I, this kid can't play, and I won't root for him because that's just, you know, actions have consequences. And we can go back to what about baseball players that we've been seeing where they type racial slurs on Twitter and they find out years later. They get punished. They and get that's punished. significantly less severe. And, but they get punished if they wrote that at 12 or 13. They're now 30 or 25, and they get it, and they get fined, and they have to go to classes. This guy's only four years removed. How much can you change? You change because you realize that your hockey um, career has a path to the NHL. That's why you change. You didn't change to become a better person, probably. You made a mistake. You realize, oh, wow, I can't be an asshole. And now, because it'll affect my career, not because it'll affect a person. So I just think that, first off, once he, once this news came out, he should never have been drafted. I think sign as a free agent, as an undrafted free agent, whatever the case may be. How, how can you draft a kid that did this? I get it. I, I mean, you going back to it, second chances. But, you know, sometimes life's not fair. You don't get second chances. And there's right. some other player that probably could have gotten drafted in a spot that didn't get drafted in this draft. A model citizen, a little less skilled, but... You know, Arizona needs to find a um, an image. Like, what is this Arizona Coyotes team? Taylor Hall is gone. Um, you know, they have a new GM. They have all this stuff. They have to find out what they're all about. And this is a terrible first step into building that image. That Again, a team that doesn't get a lot of fan support. You want to be a community builder. You just broke the first brick. You really did. And. Uh, we have to move on, but I mean, this issue is not going to go away anytime soon. And it, what Arizona does to handle this situation will speak volumes to the NHL's true stance on inclusion and diversity in the league. So, moving on to now league news that is hockey related. Former Islanders defenseman Devon Taves signed a four year deal with the Avalanche, avoiding arbitration. And yeah, Stefan, he made a lot of money. He made $4.1 million annual uh, value for this salary. And when you look at that total, that's $700,000 less than Tony D'Angelo made with the New York Rangers and two years more. And D'Angelo had the fourth most points among defensemen in the NHL last year. So it, it's a, it might be a little bit of an overpayment, but what the Avalanche did to overpay him was they got two years. The year one is 2.35, year two, 3.55. So they kind of underpaid him those two years, kept their exactly. salary cap manageable and are hoping that he grows into that contract, which if he doesn't, you're going to be paying him $5.9 million in year four, and that's a hefty, hefty price to pay. Well, to me, this is crazy. First off, if that's what he was asking for, good thing Islanders didn't go to arbitration because they were never going to even come close to matching that. But number two, this is a guy that's played 116 career NHL games. That's it. He's not, he's not been in the league for three to four years showing what he has. 116 games. He's got six goals, 22 assists, and 68 games played this year. But in the playoffs this year, he had 16 giveaways, four um, takeaways in the postseason. He made a ton of boneheaded moves that, you know, that's question mark is in big moments in the playoffs. You're going to make those same mistakes. Avalanche team that's looking to be Stanley Cup bound next season. Obviously, he got the payday. I don't know what Avalanche saw that made them say, okay, this is the guy we want to spend the money on. And that just brings you back to the Taylor Hall. Yeah. Lowball Taylor Hall by like $4 million. You have the $4 million right here. Yes, it's broken down in 2.35 the first year. But if you could have 
I mean, I didn't think the defense for the Avalanche was that big of an issue. I think what happened was they got hurt. And that's what injured. I don't think you had to pay this guy that much money. And then again, if you, you know, if you only, if you offer Taylor Hall another $2 million and now it's $6 million instead of eight, but it's a complete contender, Taylor Hall might be on the Avalanche, not the Sabres. So I think this is, this is going to be a, a signing that we're going to have to see what time if it's going to pay off. But good, good for Taves. Yeah, seriously. I mean, Taylor Hall would have been a luxury for them to have. So I think that's why they kind of lowballed him because they didn't need him, right? They yeah, already have yeah, offense that's going to score. So if he did take that and sign for that cheap of a contract, oh my God, Colorado's <laughs> licking their lips. But defensively, like you said, the injury to Eric Johnson cost him in the postseason. I think that they really wanted to ensure that they have enough depth there that an injury now in this year postseason wouldn't hurt them in the long run. So a uh, solid move for them. And you know, speaking of the Avalanche, they fall in at number two in the NHL's post-free agency power, uh, Super 16. And it's an interesting Super 16 because uh, five of uh, three, uh, wow, four of the first six teams, oh my God, are from the Western Conference. And normally we think of the Eastern Conference as with the Metro Division and the Atlantic Division, the stronger conference, but the Western Conference is very top-heavy, and they have four teams there that are all going to be in competition for the Stanley Cup next season. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, obviously, Lightning are at the top. Yep. Obviously, that's how it's going to go. You win the Stanley Cup. That's that's what happens. But then we both agree I think the Avalanche should be up there at number two. I do. I think that Vegas, two and three, that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm a little concerned with the Bruins at um, seven. Just because they had an unreal season, yes, they lose Tory Krug. It's still the Boston Bruins. Yes, their their core is getting older, but they're not super old. Tuka Rass still has a couple of years left, I think, of dominancy. We saw last year he was dominant before opting out of uh, postseason play. But the only one that gets me is I just don't – you know, the Flyers come in at number eight. I just don't – I don't know what this whole thing is with the Flyers. I don't understand – like – Honestly, I think the Rangers are going to be better than the Flyers. I just no, don't see what the no. Flyers. Okay, fine. Maybe I lied. Maybe no. you know I don't want to see that. But at the same time, though, I just don't know. Yes, they had a great season last year in a short, shortened season. It was great. Yep, great round robin. We talked about Carter Hart last episode. How he was so good in the playoffs. He was solid during the year, but he wasn't this superstar, spectacular netminder. And they lose a guy in defense who retires. And I just don't. I don't see them being. A top top team, and I mean yes, they come in at eight, not three. I, just, I don't know why everyone's so high on the Flyers. Well, they they had a very good regular season. They did, and I think that when you're looking at them, Carter Hart didn't have the advanced stats that you would expect somebody of his caliber to have, but he's also only 23, so he's getting better. He's younger than Igor Shesterkin, Ilya Sorokin, even, so he still got that much in his game to learn and to improve upon. And when you look at the offense that they have, Giroux, Voracek, Voracek was actually the only one scoring. Couturier was silent. Konechny was silent the whole time during the postseason. So to me, you don't expect that to happen again. And I think that's why people are still so high on them because Pittsburgh took a hit. The Capitals are good, but who knows how great they're going to be. So the Metro division is open for the Flyers to just, if they're good all year long, they have a chance. And, and I think that's where that falls. And especially if they wind up, realigning these divisions which we're going to talk about in a second well also how do you feel about the blues at five because i don't think the blues are going to be that good this year i do really don't trust bennington at all like not even in the slightest i think that 
It was one good run, and he, he could be respectably a, a, a solid goaltender, but, I mean, the reason they came from last place to first was because he was stealing games. And now you saw what happens when he doesn't steal games. And now they lose Allen to Montreal, so you don't have that, you know, you're not relying on, well, if Bennington doesn't come out of the gate hot, you have Allen because he's a reliable backup. You don't have that anymore. And I think that they lose Petrolangelo. That's like, besides being a great defenseman, yes, they replace him with Tory Krug. That's your captain. Yeah. That's the guy that, you know, we're not in the locker room, obviously, but on that run and last year, that's the guy that's after every game, win or loss, he's speaking his mind, he's doing those things. They're now captainless. And I just, I just think there's are, are a lot of teams that are better and better suited to make a run. And hopefully, you know, we'll talk about the season later. They're trying to get 82 games, probably going to be, you know, a lot of back-to-backs all – you know, I don't, I don't trust the St. Louis Blues team, and I think on the power rankings, how that they're ahead of the Bruins, I, I don't think that's the right call at all. I, I think that Bennington, he stopped eighty six point seven percent of his high danger chances against, which is magnificent. I think it was ninth in the league, and some of the people ahead of him had a lot fewer games, so there's a lot less opportunities there. But his numbers were great. Right. And like you said, he had a great team in front of him. And some of them, like the goal saved above average was just over three, which doesn't jump off the page of you. But he wasn't bad. And then he had a really bad postseason and it kind of made everybody realize that, okay, he wasn't as good this year as he was in his rookie season and that magnificent run. But at the same time, he still put up 30 wins. He still, you know, had some really solid numbers and he's not going to hurt you in goals, especially during the regular season. So I think they're fine there. And defensively, they lost Petrangelo in a leader. And yes, they got Krug. I don't think that replacement completely fills his void, but it's not like he's leaving a huge vacancy there. And offensively, they're still pretty much intact. So I do think they'll be good. Fifth might be a little bit generous, like you said, but at the same time, the Capitals are sixth, and I think the Blues are better than the Capitals. So I, I could see why they're at five. The Islanders, I thought the were Bruins, up. Though. The, the Bruins you think are. The Bruins are worse than the Capitals? No, no. I think the Bruins should have been higher. I think the Capitals and them should have been swapped. I also think that the Islanders, I don't know who you necessarily put them in front of, but going to the conference final should justify you being at least in the top seven. And the Rangers who got left out of the Super 16, I know that some people, I would think about 50% of the writers actually had them in at various spots between 13 and 16. And I'm surprised that that's a team that after, you know, everybody that's younger now has a second year. They added Lafreniere. They have a full year of Shesterkin. You, you think that there's 16 teams better than them? I'm not entirely sure about that. I agree, but let's move on to some free agents that are still available. We've got Mike Hoffman, Mikhail Granlund, Sammy Vatnin, Anthony Duclair, and Travis Hamanick. And for Hoffman, we spoke about this. I, I mean, I'll give my two cents. I think he goes back to Florida. I yep. just They lost so much that I think, and they have the money, that he has to be brought back or they're going to be, they're going to have struggles just, I mean, scoring goals. They're going to struggle without him. They don't, you know, they lose Dadanov too. So I think Hoffman has to go back there. But everyone else is, you know, where can they go? Fodden is a very good defensive defenseman, underrated guy. He can help any team he joins. Duclair, there are some talks now, which I'll get into a little later, about the Islanders maybe. That might be a good fit. It would be a very good fit, I think. I th- and we'll get more into it, though, about him and the connection with Pajot. Travis Hamannick's a reliable defenseman as well. He's not going to put up the stats. But, he, again, serviceable defenseman. And then Mikhail Granlin, who was linked to the uh, you know p- rumors with the Rangers, I, where do you think he should end up? He, you know, after leaving Minnesota, he hasn't really been that same player, but I still think there's a lot of upside to his game. 
Definitely. And he's a very responsible forward. So I don't think that he'll hurt any team and he doesn't mind playing a uh, third line minutes. So he doesn't have to get that top flight production and top flight playing time. So for a team that might need depth, like the Rangers would be the perfect fit for him. But at the same time, you know, that they can't afford him at this point with the free agents that they have already. Uh, you mentioned Minnesota. Why wouldn't he go back? They lost Miku Koivu. Uh, I mean, that, that seems like it would be a good fit. He's familiar with the organization, but they look like they're kind of, in the middle of a reap. I don't even know what they're doing there, to be honest. Uh, but there's a couple of places, but the, the flat cap is hurting these types of free agents where nobody wants to wind up digging into their pockets and taking away bonus potential from younger players. So it'll be interesting to see when we come back from this commercial break, though, we will talk quickly about the 82 game schedule for the NHL and some geographic realignment. That is a possibility. And then we're going to dive into the New York Rangers and New York Islanders news around them, projected lineups, and all that type of good stuff. And remember, at 6 o'clock, we have Rachel Knowns coming on. So don't leave. Stay with us. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the BS Sports Show, everybody. Brendan Azoff, Stefan Rosner here. And the NHL canceled the All-Star Game and Winter Classic, but still hopes to have an 82-game season next year. And the only way that that's going to really be possible is if they go to some geographic realignment and some basically bubble cities, if you will. Uh, Canada still has its border closed, so the only way for them to play would be to play each other in an all-Canadian division. And uh, I think that the rivalry games there would be really interesting to see. I mean, what's bigger than Hockey Night in Canada when it would be Hockey Night in Canada every single night? Yep. That's fun. It might get – see, this is the thing, though. You're, you said the, besides the Canadian division, all the other divisions are pretty much the same team that they play anyway for the most part. But at the same time, it's not – you're only playing those teams. So if we look at these divisions, which teams have an advantage? That's what I would look at. I mean, look at the Canadian division. It's – I think it's going to be between the, the Leafs and the Oilers as those top two. I mean, yes, Montreal – I mean, you have Flynn and the Jets as well. It's it's a tough. That's going to be a tough division. You know that you you probably bet that the Senators are at the bottom. Doesn't matter how much they improve, they're probably at the bottom. But that's going to be a tough division to win. Yeah, I, I think that the Canadian <laughs> division will be very hard. I do think that the Leafs would come out in first place there, though. I, I just yeah. think they have too much offensive talent, and then uh, with the teams that they're playing, if once you get familiar with an opponent, you know, some defensive tendencies, goaltending tendencies. So I think the Leafs have the ability to expose that. I look at what the Metro would be with the Rangers, Islanders, Penguins, Flyers, Capitals, Devils, Blue Jackets, Hurricanes, if that was to stay the same, because the Blue Jackets and Hurricanes could swap with the um, Boston and Buffalo. So if you had Boston out of that division and take out, say you take out Columbus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how the Rangers or Islanders make the playoffs if they hold the same format. I don't want to play Taylor Hall. Well, I'd rather play Taylor Hall in <laughs> yeah, Buffalo yeah. than Carolina yeah. and Columbus. But, I mean, that division would be an absolute disaster to get out of. I think that the Atlantic right now is the easiest one because you have the Bruins, Panthers, and Lightning in it. The Blues are also there. So I think that your top three would be the Bruins, Blues, and Lightning. And then everybody else would be fighting for that fourth and fifth spot to try to get in. But the Bruins, Lightning, uh, and, and Blues in that division would have a field day playing the Red Wings, playing the Blackhawks who are rebuilding, the Predators who are still in flux. 
I don't think the Red Wings are fighting for anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, you look at who's got the weakest teams, and to me, it's between the Atlantic and Pacific, but the Pacific has the Knights, Avalanche, and Stars. So we're talking about one, one team that went to the Cup Final, one team that played them to go to the Cup Final, and the other team that lost to the eventual Western Conference champion. So those three teams right there make that division competitive up top, at least. The, yeah, the Metro is Loaded. would be the, the hardest... Like usual. Like usual, nothing new. It'll be a good measuring stick, though, for the Rangers and the Islanders because I know the Islanders do not play well against Boston, especially at TD Garden. And the question is, well, if they do a division like this, can they do a bubble? If, you know, that's a big difference than the whole, you know, the whole fan. Let's get into fans. You know, fans going to the game. We talked to Steve Cangelosi about this when he was on the show many, many moons ago. But he said the energy would be incredible. And, yes, every fan loves the rivalry. The question is, though, if it isn't a bubble, doesn't necessarily mean the bubble is going to be in New York. That, it could be true. in a different state, which means, you know, fans may have to travel, but there's some states where you can't travel to and they have to quarantine. So it makes it really tough. I'm all for playing all these teams a lot more. Obviously, Ranger Islander games are always fun. But, you know, first off, this is going to make new rivalries. Oh, yeah. Especially for teams that, you know, Every team that you're gonna play is gonna be you're gonna play a lot more te- a lot of these teams a lot more than you're ever used to. And at the end of the day, if they get an 82 game season in, all these teams are rivals. It doesn't matter what their record's gonna be because it's gonna be a battle every time they play. And in hockey, you know, the, the worst team doesn't always lose to the best team. We've seen that time and yeah. time again. Just because the Red Wings have to now play the Bruins a lot more than they're used to, does not mean that the Red Wings are gonna lose every single game because that's not how hockey works. So I think it'll be a lot. It'll be very fun to see what happens with that, and and any given night anyone can win. But I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to those those Ranger Islander games, Islanders Penguins. You know, hate the Flyers, but you're going to see the Flyers a lot more, and it's going to be a rematch of the rivalry they just created again in the playoffs this year. So it, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the question becomes though, do they go the route of the bubble because it clearly worked, and if they did that, you're not that you're guaranteeing zero percent, but the bubble worked to perfection, to little perfection in the playoffs. And if you did it across the league, one, two, three, four, four different rinks and everything like that, I don't see why they wouldn't do that besides arenas losing money and all that kind of stuff. They want the fans back. But at the end of the day, though, without being safe, and if things happen with COVID because it's getting worse, it's getting worse, and you can't deny that it's not getting worse. We're talking about January now, though. So there's still time. There's still time for anything to happen. But at the end of the day, Safety or, or money, that's that's it's where you're at. it's going to be money at this point because they is, chose they chose safety already and now they lost so much money because of it that you're seeing the financial repercussions of it already. So I think that they're going to have to choose money, but it, it's I mean all it takes is one COVID case on one team to have a team come out and then you have that whole type of situation. But hopefully by that point, I mean we're in October, so that's two and a half months away. You'd say when they want to really start. Do they have a vaccine? Do they have more of an idea of how to handle it? Can fans come in more limited capacity? What are, what are the protocols like for the players? Those things all have to be decided before they can fully commit to an 82-game season with travel, without travel. You don't know. But let's get into the Islanders first, break down some of the stuff that's happened, and let's hear your projected lines for next season. Yeah, so the Islanders love just signing like the low guys for now. Uh, they're waiting. They're waiting to clear cap space. they Top priority, Barzal, Pulak, we've been over this. They got a trade to open some cap room. But today, they signed Hosang and Greer. Greer was uh, involved in the trade for Burroughs uh, a couple of weeks back. 
Sign them to both one-year deals. They avoid arbitration with them. They also sign Vanden Sample and Weatherspoon to two-year deals. Hosang, we all know the story with Hosang. He didn't fail at the NHL level, but he really didn't get a – I don't think he got a fair shake. He had attitude issues, all that good stuff. He played on two AHL teams last year, Bridgeport and San Antonio, because the Islanders didn't even want him on the Bridgeport roster, which is just a terrible look. Lou Lamarill, the GM, was surprised that he even went filed for arbitration. But they bring him back, so maybe he'll play. But, you know, Greer, 23 years old. Sample, 23 years old. Witherspoon, 23 years old. For Sample, he was an all-star in 2019. He led the Bridgeport Sound Tigers with 10 goals. So these signings are not low-key signings, but, you know, it's just increasing the depth they have in their farm system. And you never know when they can be used in a trade. For Ho Sang's case, I guess he's going to try to make it out of camp and go from there. But he did not have good relationships with the Islanders. So it's very, very Weird to see that he filed for arbitration and that they settled way before then. So for my lines, excuse me, before I go into the lines, Anthony Duclair we spoke about previously. And I just want to get into one fact with uh, Duclair. He's coming off a year where he had a career-best 23 goals, 17 assists, 40 points. He played alongside Pajot on that top line before Pajot joined the Islanders. And if, if, um, if Duclair were to join the Islanders now, he'd probably play on that third line with Pajot yet again. So would that be a good move for the Islanders? I think so. You look at, he's on a one-year, I think one-year two million is what you could offer him. And obviously the Islanders, again, they still have financial issues. They got to fix. He's coming off a one-year $1.65 million deal. He clearly showed he could do when he plays top minutes. The question is, can now in a new system, Ottawa's a run-and-gun team. The Islanders are more of a defensive base. So can he, you know, Pajot had a really slow start in the Islander uniform. Can Duclair join that and have success right away, or will it take some time? But I think playing alongside Pajot on that third line, I think that's money. And I think the Islanders should really look for that once they have the cap room. But let's go to the projected lines real quick. My top line is staying the same for now, unless they acquire someone. Lee Barzal, Everly. Line two, Bavillier, Nelson, Bailey. Line three gets interesting. Broussard has not been re-signed yet, but I think they re-signed him. I have Bellows, Pajot, and Broussard. And for Bellows, I think you could switch him out with Wallstrom or move him around on that line. They're both wingers. And then my fourth line is Martin Sezikis Clutterbuck. My extras are Dal Cole. He has not proven anything to me that he deserves it. Have Hossein there just because he did file and he's going to try to make the team. And Oliver Wallstrom, who just got hurt overseas, yep. it, it, it's, it could be bad. Um, he goes awkwardly into the boards. He went over there to work on his game. He was really upset he didn't make the playoff roster. Love to see it. Said that that's how he gets treated, you know, trying to work your butt off and now you get hurt. But I think he's ready to take that step to a young kid. He's got so much talent. He's been scouted since he was a, a young, young kid. Looking for that on defense, Pelic Pulak's your number one. Then you got Letty Mayfield. I have I, – I, everyone thinks Dobbs is going to be a top four defender, and I, I believe he will get to that point for, for next season. I like him with Green if they re-sign him, Green and Dobson. like having the veteran presence with the young guy, getting him in. Letty, he's shown year after year that he's getting worse on defense, but I still like him in your in your top four. My extras on defense, Sebastian Ajo, they, who they re-signed um, this year, and then Grant Hutton, who they also re-signed. Hopes that our Komarov and Boychuk uh, get moving before the season begins. Bursar, like I said, rumored to getting re-signed. Matt Martin, who's not on the team yet, will also get re-signed. So that's how I round it out. And goaltending, it's um, Sorokin starting with Varlamov. They'll probably be a tandem. It depends. Maybe Schneider's in there. But that's my projected lines. Unless Islanders go out and get a score, and that changes things drastically. Yes, it does. And I mean, obviously, before they could do that, they got to figure out their financial situation. But those lines are, they, I mean, they look good. The the interesting move for me was you put Bellows on the third line. I mean, with the Hosang news today, maybe they feel like he will fit that role better. 
or I, I saw Barry Trotz during the postseason go to Dell Cole, so maybe he will just he give him Del the benefit. Cole. He does. I, I just, I just, if you have guys that you know, you have all these young guys trying to take that next step. I just hit my mic. Next step, though, <laughs> you know, if Dal Cole is not showing you much, I know he was a, I think he was picked in the second or third or fourth. He was high up in his draft class, and he has not amounted to much. Why not give a guy like Bellows a chance? Um, Wallstrom, not sure how long he's going to be out, but if he's ready to go, you might as well try things out because Dal Cole is not going to be the, the guy you thought you were drafting. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, and I think that that would be interesting to see if how uh, Bellows, Pajot, Brassard line would work, and if maybe they do go out and add Duclair, obviously you, you cure that problem right there, and he yeah. takes Bellows' spot. But moving on to another young player for the New York Rangers is uh, Vitaly Kratsov. And Vitaly Kratsov struggled at Hartford. We actually watched him play when we were working for the Binghamton Devils, and when he had the puck, he looked really talented. When he didn't have the puck, he looked lost. But when he went to the KHL now uh, – he got hurt, but was on fire before that injury. Missed the better half of a month, and now he has eight goals on the season, 50 shots through 13 games. And he's just absolutely dominating the puck, lighting up that league, playing for Tractor. And I think that he's opening some eyes in the Rangers system. I'm not sure if they'll put him on the roster this year, at least right away because of the bonuses and the financial issues that would come with it. But he definitely is proving that they may have found a gem in that first round if he continues to progress on that way. Uh, for the projected lines in 2021, I kind of kept the top six similar. Kreider, Zibanejad, Buchnevich, the KZB line worked well last year. Why break it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You have Panarin, Strom, and then Kako on that right wing. I think that with those three, obviously we know what Panarin and Strom did together. Now you add Kako to that mix, give the young kid a chance to play with arguably the best uh, assist man in the NHL right now in Artemi Panarin. I think that trio can do amazing things. Newly drafted Alexei Lafreniere with Edel centering Gaudier on the right side. That's another line that could be young and talented. And then finally, to round it off, I have DiGiuseppe, Howden, and Lemieux, which could change. Obviously, they signed Kevin Rooney and Colin Blackwell. Those are two guys that could jump in. Uh, it, it all depends, honestly, what they do with the young kids up front. But right now, that you know four lines looks like it could be as realistic as you can get, barring they re-sign everybody. If you were to give Kratzov a chance, where are you putting him? Are you putting him on the wing? Uh, on the I wing? would I would take him, put him in uh, Godier's spot okay, on the third exactly line, and I would bump him down and take Gi- Giuseppe out of the lineup. That would be my move. But granted, they've they've really kind of limited some of the youngsters playing, so I don't know how that would work and how David Quinn would uh, rearrange that type of lineup. But that would be my move. A non-defense Lindgren Fox to me is the top pair, but. They could wind up rotating that. Maybe Fox and D'Angelo. We'll see. Smith, Truba, Jack Johnson, and Tony D'Angelo, Anthony Botetto, Libor Hayek, uh, Hayek, and Keandre Miller as your extras. The defense is going to be the problem. Uh, Igor Shesterkin, the starter, is going to have to bear uh, bail these guys out a couple of times, especially with Smith and Johnson both being on the left side. But who knows what happens if Miller or Hayek prove something. Botetto's played in the NHL. He's a local guy. Maybe he'll get a chance too. But that, to me, is how the lineup's going to look. It could be changes depending on how they re-sign RFAs who performs well at camp. But that, that, that offense is, speaking of Halloween around the corner, that offense is scary good. That defense is yeah. scary because, Bad. I mean, Smith, it's been tough for him. <laughs> it's been tough for him to be a consistent <laughs> weapon on defense. They had him yeah. playing forwards, didn't they, for a couple of games? Well, that kind of messed with him, uh, I think. 
He played his best defense last year in the postseason when he didn't have a stick and lit up Andrei Sveshnikov. So maybe they just got to say, all right, no stick for you next year, and he'll just throw the body around because he looked really good in that five-second span. I have a feeling that if Johnson's miserable to start off, uh, Hayek or Miller is going to get a chance. I just think that there's no point, especially let's say the Rangers don't get off to the best of starts. And maybe they're at, maybe they're not in a playoff picture when the time comes to, you know, make a change real quick. I think that you got to see what Miller's got. You don't know if he's ready yeah. or not. Yes. He said where they signed John to $1 million, one year, one mil. Uh, it was a one year, $1.1 million deal. Okay. Yeah. So if you had to move on from him, it's not the end of the world, but we talked about why he was brought in for the power penalty kill, right? Not the power play, the penalty kill. Which is ironic. Um, which is ironic because he just can't do anything. Statistically was the worst penalty killing defenseman, but that's a separate issue. Uh, again, it's, just, it's all interesting to see both Islanders and Rangers looking at these lines. They're, they're top two lines. You know, okay, they're going to be good, good. And then it's, okay, what do the young guys have on that third line? I mean, the Rangers and the Islanders' third line is similar. Not obviously – obviously one is clearly younger, which is the Rangers. But you still got question marks on that third line where do you play the veteran or do you play the young guy? Or in this case, you know, Gauthier is young as well, but yep. um, who is it? But um, who are we talking about Kratzov? Kratzov yeah. could replace him, yep. But I, I really don't think that that's going to be an issue early on. Yeah, With how comfortable he is in Russia right now and the bonus situation that comes if he does play a certain amount of games, I think that Kratzov will be in Russia to start the year at least. And if they're struggling, then maybe they go, all right, it's time for you to come over and get your chance. Are you ready for some over-unders, Brennan? Let's do this. This is really interesting because it goes with that fantasy, you know, hockey puck line type things. But at the same time, there's there's a couple of Rangers and Islanders here who had career years or close to it last year that now can they replicate it? All right. Well, Barzal didn't come close to a career year last no. year, but we know he won the Calder in 17-18. He scored 22 goals that year. Last year, he scores 19. He had 41 assists to go with that. That's a my mask. That's 60 points. So the question is, Barzal over under 19 goals. And when I look at this, this is a team that doesn't really score much. Barzal has been asked to shoot the puck a lot more because he is too – not that he's not too um, – I forgot the word, but he, he shows what he's going to do. You know he's going to pass the puck more often than not, yeah. which means that it could get picked off, you can lose the puck. If he, You know he has a, a wicked shot. Like we've seen his shot. Clearly he's in the NHL. He could shoot. He's got to shoot the puck more. I'm going to say he goes over. And the reason I'm going to also say is because they're really trying to add someone, uh, not an elite score, but a score on his wing, whether it be a Palmieri, a Line. Um, that's only going to help him because now he's got a guy that can finish off passes. We saw with Tavares, you know, he racks up the stats. But if you get a guy on his wing that was an elite scorer, maybe Tavares doesn't have as many goals, but he racks up more assists. And the problem with the honors has been – Who's that one that you could pass to where it's going to be all right? That's a done deal. Go. We saw Everly in the playoffs missing a variety of opportunities every single night. And you think, well, if he had scored at 25% of those passes, then Barzal's got the assist rack up or, you know, but maybe if Barzal doesn't have a winger on his, on his side, he's forced to shoot more and score more. So it's interesting though, but the fact that he scored 19 goals in a short and regular season, I think he will pass that mark. Uh, I, I completely agree with you. I think over is the safe bet. I'm not entirely sure how far over he will go, but at the same time, over 19 goals in a full season for somebody like Matthew Barzal, who knows that at this point he's going to have to carry a lot of the offensive load for the New York Islanders. To me, over is good. I, I think he hovers between 20 and 25, and that's a great year for him because we already know he's going to rack up 40-plus assists. So I, I think over is a safe bet there. Moving on. 
Over under, Ryan Pulak, 25 assists. So I'm going to go with the over again. I think that he registered 28 assists in 18-19, and that's in 82 games. He plays He plays a lot. He played yep. all 82 games, didn't miss anything. Again, shortened season, so he's not obviously going to have the um, enough games to get that. But you look at it, and one thing the Islanders realize in this playoff is the fact that they need to use their defense. Firsthand, so what happens when a, a Lightning team gets their defense involved? They are impossible to defend against because you, you don't know who to guard. Yep. I think Pulak has an unreal slap shot. We've seen that on the power play. He's got to get more involved. He's got to shoot it more. But assist-wise, too, he's got the vision. If people think that he's going to rip, let one go, they might try to block it or do that stuff. If he could quickly pass it off to someone hanging at the bottom of the circle, he could rack up uh, more assists. I think also with Devon Taves leading in, I know we talked about this too, Brendan. He's got a bigger role. Yes, he's been playing first-line minutes, but you know, you're going to get more minutes now, and you have to step up. You know, Pulak... He doesn't really get the accolades around the league for being a top defenseman, and that's up for debate if he is. But this is the year with no Devon Taves, with a lot of question marks on defense, for him to become a bona fide number one alongside Pelic. If Pulak and Pelic can be an absolute dominant tandem on that top defensive pairing, this Islander team is going to be scary. But the problem is we've got to see Pulak get more involved in the offense. And I think this year, with the way um, their team is situated, I think that he will have a bigger role. I completely agree. And I, you touched on everything, his shot and how powerful it is. People have to respect it. So I think that opens up passing lanes and 25 assists should be good for him this season. So I'm going over as well. Anders Lee over under 20 goals. We know he's capable of scoring goals, 40 and 17, 18 gets a big seven year, $49 million deal. Then it goes to 28 goals, then to 20. I'm going to say you can hover close to that. I'm going to say even, but if I had to guess, I'd say he goes over. The question is if the Islanders get a winger, if it's a left winger, Anders Lee's probably going to the second line. If it's a right winger, he becomes that top option. And Anders Lee doesn't become that top option for a guy like Barzal. But I think, you know, in a full season, he probably scores a 24, 25. So I'll say over 20 goals. I agree. I mean, this year he had 20 and he only played 68, which you were talking about separately, me and you. And uh, I think that if he does play the 82, then obviously he has over 20. And he's very talented with his wrist shot. I think it's one of the most underappreciated wrist shots in the NHL. So if he gets into open lane, stays healthy over 20 goals for him should be a no, no brainer. All right, Brandon, we'll move on to some Rangers. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Artemi Panarin over under 90 points uh, to me, this is a, it's a lock over uh, just the skill that he plays with. Obviously he's talented enough where he could score 70 points without anybody on his wing. He scored 95 playing with Ryan Strom and Jesper Foss last season. Now you add, Capo Kako, who's a very skilled young forward to the wing. You keep him with Ryan Strom, we hope, barring any RFA scares. But uh, at the same time, he 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 should put up over 90 points. I'm never going to doubt Panarin ever again, so I'm going to say the over. Let's move on to Mika Zibanejad. Over under 40 goals, Brennan. For me, I'm going to go over, and this is all about health for him. I think that if he stays healthy, he can score over 40. I don't expect him to score at the same rate he did last season, which is why I say he has to be healthy because he only played in 57 games but still scored 41 goals. But the way that he plays, the chemistry he has with Kreider and Buchnevich, over 40 should be a lock for me. I think Sabanado is one of the one of the most underappreciated players in the entire National Hockey League. And yes, he had an unreal season last year, but he went from 30 goals back in 1819 to 41 last year. I think he's going to come back down to earth, so I'm going to take the under. I think around 30 to 35, but 40 is a lot, especially sure. with the weapons they have now. They can maybe spread more of the wealth, share more of the wealth, so I'm going to say the under. Last one, Brendan. 
Lafreniere over under 20 goals. I, I tossed up with this back and forth because he is on the third line playing third line minutes, depending on the power play situation. Uh, I think that the under would be a fair bet, but because I'm hoping for an optimistic, I'm going to say over. Uh, I'm going to go under. And just because I'm going to look back to last year, we saw Kako struggle. We saw Jack Hughes struggle. And then Lafreniere is a, you know, a talent like no other. They've talked about it. And I think though, again, though, back to this, even the Zibanejad point, there are so many weapons on this team that not everyone on this team is going to score 25, 30 goals. This is not going to happen. I think that he's going to have a good year, but I'm going to say, I'm going to take the under. I mean, listen, if both these uh, three guys for each team does what they have to do, the next season should be fun to watch for New York hockey. But if they're playing in that Metro division with geographic alignment, it's going to be extremely competitive. So all three of these guys are going to definitely have to perform to that high level. When we come back, we have Rachel Nolans from the Hockey Writers to talk with us. So stay with us. You don't want to miss that. You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the BS Sports Show. I'm Brendan Azoff. With me is Stefan Rosner. And now we have a very special guest coming on the show. Rachel Nones of the Hockey Writers covers the New York Rangers. So, Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you both for having me. How are you guys? Doing great. They're doing very well. I, we would be better if hockey was on. But, of course, <laughs> we have to now wait until the unknown comes back. And you know, hopefully that is soon. But we're going to get right into things. So where did your passion for for sports start? And uh, what made you transition that passion into sports journalism? So I was born in Jersey, northern Jersey. Um, but we weren't there for too long. Moved to Philly. Um, so I was kind of always kind of like a casual fan. Um, my dad's from New York. So um, that being with northern Jersey kind of was leaning towards New York, despite being like so close to Philly. Um, so it was always kind of on in the TV. Um, I didn't really always pay attention to it. It wasn't until I actually moved to Pittsburgh that I did get more into sports. Um, I actually came to Pittsburgh at the time when they were winning their cups. So it was a good time to be in Pittsburgh. Um, pretty good timing. So um, it was a really good environment, actually. And then my senior year at Pitt, we had a project where it was for an organizational communication class. So, um, so it was a pretty broad class for a bunch of majors. And what we had to do was contact people um, in the field that we were looking to go into. At that point, I still wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but um, I was always interested in hockey. So I decided, you know, I should reach out to some hockey people see if they could give me any good advice, get a little bit more insight into the job and what it entails. So I was actually lucky enough to um, talk to two Penn's beat reporters for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Matt and Joe. They were really nice. Um, they let me interview them and ask them a bunch of questions. So I learned a lot about the job. I really liked it. I always liked writing. So I kind of thought they went hand in hand. So um, it was actually a group project we had to present about. And I remember, we had a bunch of other people in the group and they went different directions with their interviews. Um, I thought my people were pretty cool that I interviewed. And I remember like one of the first questions that we got after a presentation was um, like, how did you get these people to talk to you? And I mean, if you just ask, they're really like willing to help you. So that was the first step pretty much. So we're in the same boat, me and Brendan, because we had a class project where they said, all right, you have to do a podcast 
or make a website, something like that. So we chose to go the podcast route and look where we are now. But um, no, like you said, <laughs> right. where you reach out to people and you know how how come they answer? How do you get to talk to them? I realize, and Brendan's probably realized this as well. In the hockey community, everyone wants to talk. They always say to me, "It's what I've heard is when I was younger, somebody helped me and talked to me, so I'm going to pass it on." I think that's great, especially not every sport's like that, but hockey's definitely shown that that's that's more of the norm. Right. And I'm definitely like thankful for taking those courses because would I reach out on my own? Probably not. Um, I probably wouldn't even think to do that because again, kind of just, I don't know, you have this idea that they're not going to get back to you or they're too busy or stuff like that. But I mean, I've reached out to multiple people in the field and they all got back to me and it was just the two that I ended up going with. Next question. Um, can you shed some light on what a woman has to endure on a daily basis in sports and how men can assist in alleviating some of these issues? Because it's been talked about in the media over the last couple of weeks and for a long time now is, you know, men just saying the dumbest takes and not giving, no, really not giving women credit at all for, listen, it's not a women reporter, a women hockey reporter, it's a hockey reporter. And, you know, there's issues that go along with this. Right. So I think a lot of it, is I understand it's not always coming from an explicit kind of way. A lot of it's um, very subtle, but there's still a lot of stereotypes involved with it. Um, it's little things like being tested about information or something that you wrote or something like that. Um, and just like them subtly testing you about it, which happens in person, happens in the internet. It doesn't matter. Like there's, it can come from any direction, but um, I think a matter too is letting your work speak for yourself, but at the same time, people are still going to challenge you. Um, it doesn't matter either gender. Um, but I mean, it's always not, it's not always blatant either. It's like I said, subtle a lot of times, um, the discrimination isn't always blatant. And then that can kind of funnel into other things. Like you don't really know what it's doing to the person on the receiving end. And then it goes into like the imposter syndrome and stuff like that, where then, whoever is on the receiving end of it is kind of second guessing themselves and their skills, even though they definitely deserve to be there. Um, but I think in terms of helping, just kind of hold people who are discriminating and harassing accountable. And then I think too, when you do see somebody kind of holding that person accountable, back that person up, like don't attack that person. I've seen this a lot of times where some other men will kind of stand up for a female reporter or whatever the case is. And then, you know, another person will come by and attack that person who's standing up, which, you know, takes us back a bunch of steps yeah. um, because we finally have somebody who's speaking out. Um, but I just think being aware, um, just like kind of, would you say this to a male reporter? Would you say this to yourself? Um, like I said, a lot of times I don't think it's really supposed to be explicit in how they talk to someone who's a woman. But, um, and I don't think, you know, you can't disagree with a woman either. I just think that your disagreement shouldn't come from a place of gender. I completely agree with everything you said. Did yep. you ever, um, you know, when thinking about a career in sports journalism and women in sport, you know, would this issue ever cross your mind of, Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's so much that goes into 
putting your work out there because it's really close to you. It's really personal to you. You worked hard on it. And then to see the reaction of it, it doesn't, even if it's somebody who disagrees with your view or anything like that, even if it's not from a place of gender differences, even that's still hurtful. And then to kind of throw the gender thing onto it um, definitely doesn't help the case. But um, I would just, another thing too, is I've seen like men speaking on behalf of women or generally speaking about women, which I, again, advise not to do because <laughs> just speak for yourself. Um, <laughs> Like, I don't want any special treatment. I just want to be treated equally. Um, but it is, you do have moments where you doubt it, even if you are a man and your work doesn't, you know, um, take off as well as you think it did. It's it's always a personal thing. It's so sad that we actually have to have this conversation. It's just like, I know. <laughs> like, it, like we're laughing, but it's because it's stupid. Like it shouldn't even be a conversation, but. Well, you're a great writer, though, and, and keep doing what you're doing. But bring the next Thank one. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, def I think it all stems from social media. A lot of men have Twitter fingers. You know, I don't think they would say any of this <laughs> stuff in person. But yeah. online, they have a little bit of a safety valve. So they, they try to utilize it. But you mentioned, you know, what you had to you didn't really envision all this stuff and what you'd have to go through. But what message would you give to younger female writers who or females who are just interested in sports in general that want to get into the industry, but see what's going on and might be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that? Um, I mean, just this is kind of general advice as somebody who puts their work out there, just don't listen to comments. You you do want to interact with people and you do want to support your own points. But I just think at the end of the day, you can't let comments like that um, deter you from doing what you want to do. If you're passionate about that, you're going to end up there anyway, I think, if you work hard enough. Um, so I think just take advantage of all the opportunities. Again, social media is kind of a good thing because maybe people are just scrolling down to the content. They don't look at the byline or look at your bio. So it's kind of like an extra layer of less judgment, I wanna say in some cases. Um, so that's good. I think social media is obviously a great way to get your name out there and just to take advantage of things like the whole interviewing thing. I don't think you should wait for these opportunities. I wish that I certainly would have done something like this sooner and didn't wait until my senior year Agreed. of college to do something like that. So I think it's be more proactive and um, don't wait for these opportunities to come to you. Well said. Let's get to some hockey talk yep. now. So the Metropolitan Division is a very, very stacked division, probably one of the toughest divisions in hockey and probably in all of sports. Where do you see the Rangers finishing if they are able to have a full 82-game season? So I was reflecting um, last season. I do want to be optimistic about my team. Um, however, I don't think things are going to be that different from last year, kind of taking into account what the other teams in the Metro have done. Um, just looking at the point totals, I mean, last season they ended with 79 points. In any other division, that would be right under the Leafs. Same as Calgary, and it would be slightly above the Predators. So that just kind of goes to show you like how difficult the Metro is year in, year out. Um, and then you go and try to assess like the front office changes in the Metro um, and how that's going to play a role in the standings and stuff like that. But I hope it's going to be slightly better than last year. I don't think last year was a train wreck. I think it could have gone a lot worse than it actually did. So I see 
a slight increase in uh, what the Rangers did, but I don't think that should digress from any kind of progress that they did make or take away from the moves that they did make. Uh, I like that take. No, I I'm agree an, with I'm that. I'm an Islander fan. <laughs> I'm an Islander fan. So if you're going to say they're not going to be after <laughs> then it's then it's great. Well, she did say that teams are not going to take a step back, though, which yeah, the Islanders will do. So there you go with that. But <laughs> to follow that up, uh, the Rangers possess uh, young talent, which is just unlike any other in the league right now, at least NHL-ready young talent. And I know you've done a couple of prospect pieces for the hockey writers, you know, getting people up to date with what they're doing. Which young player do you think will have the biggest impact next season at the NHL level? Um, I mean, the obvious names, I guess I'm pretty excited for um, uh, Shesterkin. I'm excited for Lafreniere, um, those types of people. But I'm also excited to see what um, Georgiev does. I think it's gonna. It's obviously a different situation for him. He's competing with someone a lot closer to his age. Um, and I don't know how that goalie situation is going to work out yet. So I think, you know, if they do start Igor a majority of the time, I think Georgie's going to really want to make the most of his starts to show that, you know, they could work out a tandem at least, or that he's not forgotten here. Um, they do have a lot of faith in him, obviously. Um, I would like to see him play and, um, I just think he'd be pretty interesting to watch too, but I like to see Kreider step up to um, fan favorite. He's been there for a while. Yep. Um, don't know what's going on with the captaincy yet. I would <laughs> like to see him get it. Um, but I think that would be pretty interesting. And of course, just the young kids really excited to see what they do. Um, I know Hayek didn't have the most impressive first year. So I'm hoping he can kind of step it up. Um, hopefully the whole defense partner situation kind of uh, fixes itself with some different pairings. Yep. So you touched on it real quick. If you had to pick between Mika and Chris Kreider, you're going to say that you think Chris Kreider is going to be the captain next year if they go with him? I, I am. Um, I just think that because he's been there the longest, um, I think he shows a lot more to the public. Um, some leadership qualities, that's not to take away from anything that Zibanejad does, but um, I think Chris is kind of more out there with his traits. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> so we talked about just, this last week and I said the same thing. So I agree with you. Yeah. So I just would prefer him in a way. Um, I think he, you know, he's been there for more of like the disappointing seasons and stuff like that. Um, Zibby's seen some disappointment too, but I just think that Chris, he's been there for so long. Um, not that that's the only reason he should get it, but I would like to see Chris get to see but based on ranger logic though if they make him captain they have to trade him eventually not right away <laughs> good thing he's not a defenseman because he'd be out of there a lot sooner and he's exactly. got a nice he's got a nice contract as well last question before we let you go the, the nhl wants to play a full 82 game season realistically though with covid and everything that's going on financially do you think that's possible i do think it's possible the first thing that comes to mind is injuries. I know um, it's kind of interesting after every season to see which injury, which player was battling through the whole postseason, and you just have no idea. So I think that's going to be a much bigger problem. And I think too, with the Rangers, with the position that they're in with all the youth, I think having 
that risk of injury with a lot of young players is a little concerning because of development and uh, reasons like that. But um, if they were to have a shorter season, obviously that would benefit teams like the Rangers. Um, like not even just the playoff experience, although that's a part of it, but they would get in the playoffs again. I just think um, a shorter season would kind of help their confidence in a way too. And again, with that experience, you know, with a team like Carolina where they did go 4-0 against them in the regular season and then they got eliminated by them. It shows the young kids firsthand that playoffs is so different. You can't take this for granted that you beat them. In the regular season, you have to step it up in the postseason. And I think it's one thing to kind of tell the young kids that and then for them to actually have to go through that. So in terms of that, that's kind of why I would favor a shorter season as well as the risk of injuries. Um, but as a greedy hockey fan, I would like to see a lot more hockey. So it's kind of a toss up. There's pros and cons to both. But um, again, the injuries is something that is a little concerning. Yeah, definitely. If they were to play 82 games, they'd have a lot of back-to-backs. It would probably see a lot more injuries. But for me, the biggest thing is I want hockey season back from October to April. Like right now, once baseball is over, football teams in New York are terrible. I got nothing. And this would be pure hockey season. So if they do a shortened season, you get back to the swing of things with regular hockey season. But if they do a full year, you're back to, okay, you have no hockey from October to December or January. And I, I'm not okay with that. <laughs> right. I don't know. Like how options are there even but um i agree i definitely want as much as i can but it's a little it's a little scary yeah we can't be over eager during these unique times but rachel thank you very much for joining us you were awesome and we look forward to reading more of your work on the hockey writers and blue line station as well thank you i appreciate it all right so that's rachel known as uh, knowns everybody i can't say names for anything but thank you for coming on and uh, we'll move on now to our puck picks. So this is actually a very interesting segment for us because we don't usually dive into fantasy hockey. I know me and you try not to play it, but I am very interested in starting it this year because there's so many big names, and especially on the New York Islanders and New York Rangers now, instead of the lull that's been their fantasy performance the last couple of years, both offensively and defensively, we now have some players that you could pick and some players that you could take. And the Rangers have one player in the top 10 in fantasy rankings. The Islanders do not. But mm. despite that, the number one player is Nathan McKinnon, not McDavid. So I was wondering what your take is on that. Oh, we've, had, we've had this conversation, Brendan, of which player. <laughs> we have. It's so tough. And the reason I think McKinnon's ahead of that is because of the rankings of where they think the Avalanche are going to finish based on the Oilers. Obviously, the Avalanche are heavy favorites to go back to the Stanley cup. The Oilers still have much to prove as an organization. Yep. And if they, they want to get back to the Stanley, if they want to get, excuse me, to the Stanley cup finals, McKinnon's going to have to be the big part yet again. Same thing with McDavid, obviously for the Oilers, but McKinnon is so dominant. We saw what he did last year. We saw what he did in the playoff run that probably ended a little premature to their liking again with injuries and all that kind of stuff. I don't think McKinnon brings more to the table. I just, it's very, very interesting because you look at McKinnon, he's got a lot of weapons around him. You look at McDavid, he doesn't. So for fantasy purposes, though, you, goals are two points, right? Assists are a point. Something yep. like that. It changes based on leagues. I think that 
McKinnon's worth more because of the team around him, and he'll have a better opportunity to gain more points. I really do. And McDavid's a one-man show. It's great and all, and he has some guys he can pass to. But we talked about it even with Barzal is, well, who's he feeding it to that's going to score? You know, McDavid might rack up the goals like he does, and he's a great passing guy. Don't get me wrong. But you look at McKinnon, and more often than not, he's got someone that's going to finish off a nice pass. McDavid might have to dig it himself, maybe a little more turnovers, but he doesn't have that one guy capacity that's going to be bang, bang. The dry side doesn't play alongside him. They yeah. played alongside each other now and again, but they're not on the same line. If they were on the same line, then you probably put McDavid ahead of McKinnon. But for this situation, I have to go. I agree with McKinnon being ahead of McDavid. It's interesting for me because power play points are a category as well. And I don't think anybody does power play points better than Connor McDavid. So you have to weigh that in to consideration. But McKinnon is also no slouch when it comes to that statistic. Uh, when you look at somebody like a McKinnon, like you said, he is in a better situation line-wise. Obviously playing with Ranton and Landis Gog, the types of men and, and skaters that are around him, especially on the back end, McCarr rushing that puck up. But now you look at McDavid, they add Turris. I don't necessarily know that they'll be playing together. They probably won't be, but it does help him, you know, bump everybody up a little bit more. And you add Barry to the back end, somebody that can move the puck as a defenseman. It gives McDavid more of a opportunity where he doesn't have to carry it end to end, even though I personally love watching him do that because it's just completely insane what he can do with this uh, puck at such a high speed. But to me, if you have the second pick and wind up with McDavid, you're smiling. If you have the first pick and take McDavid and McKinnon falls to two, you're still smiling there anyway. So it's a win-win with whoever you get with those two gentlemen. You're probably still smiling if you have a top eight pick in your – Oh, <laughs> yeah, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with a lot of these guys. Is Kucherov as good as McKinnon's going to be in fantasy? It could be. All these. It's not like one of these guys is much far off to the other guys. I mean, Ovechkin, Matthews, Panarin, Dreisaitl, Kucherov. I'd put them all in the same group. McDavid and McKinnon are a little bit higher up, but I mean, yep. Kucherov could easily outplay both of them. But you're now, talking like Panarin's ranked fifth, right? Yeah. And the reason he's ranked fifth, he had 95 points, but the reason he's ranked fifth is because he had 60 even strength points. So he didn't get the same type of power play numbers, which would help your fantasy stock. So getting 60 even strength points still puts him fifth. I mean, like you said, you can't go wrong. Matthews and Ovechkin follow him, and you know you're going to get a lot of goals from them. So, yeah, it really – and then um, Vasilevsky. I was going to say, it shows how good Vasilevsky is as a goalie that he's going that high in a fantasy hop. I mean, he's ranked that high. We know in leagues, once a goalie yeah. goes, they all start to go, and Vasilevsky's clearly the number – the top guy. I don't know, though, if I would pick him over – a forward just for the fact that you got guys like Rad. I mean, you have goalies. Go and let's say you have a ten or twelve person league. There are enough good goalies that you'll get one. Is it is it worth losing out a guy like Eichel who's now going to be playing with Taylor Hall? I don't know if I would do that. I'd probably go with Eichel. But I mean, Vasilevsky's rated that high. He deserves it because he's just unreal. It's the same debate with fantasy football, right? Yeah. I mean, you take Mahomes in the second round or first round, even though you know he's going to get you that many points, but you need other positions better. It's the same thing here. But Vasilevsky gets so many wins every year, and he's the only goaltender there that you know he's going to be starting, and you know the team in front of him is so talented that you might as well take a shot because you're going to get the guaranteed points. But two things before we move on to our picks for Rangers and Islanders fantasy value. So Banajad came in at 18th. And I mean, that's due to his 40 goals, 41 goals last season. The, the time he missed, how much better could he be if he plays 82? And Barzal came in at 76th, which we were talking prior to the show, I think is very low. 
And I know that point total wise, he didn't have that same type of value last season, but it's still a guy that you know is going to get a minimum of 60 points. You know, is going to play top flight minutes, you know, can set up people. And if he shoots the puck a little more, you're talking about a 25 goal scorer as well. I think that this is going to change. His ranking is going to change if they get a guy, an elite winger. Obviously, if they get a guy like Line or Hoffman, which again is a stretch, but if they do, he jumps up. If they get a guy like Paul Mary, I still think he jumps up. It's the fact they're looking at the team around him, and we talked about it. What do we think he's going to do? He'll probably score 20 something goals, 40 something assists, but obviously, assists are worth less in fantasy. You want a scorer. The question we got is, can he be that scorer? So 76 is tough to look at if you're an Islander fan, but at the same time, he's not a bona fide goal scorer. Once he become, once he be, can become a player that is as good at shooting and scoring as he is at passing, he's going to skyrocket a lot higher on this list. Where for a guy that has been begging to shoot the puck more and still really hasn't, He's racking up pretty much just assists. He's getting near 20 goals and in a regular extended, I mean, a regular, regular season, he probably does get there. I just think that 76 for now is a good spot, but let's see what happens if they get somebody to play alongside him. Uh, it, to me, it's mind boggling that the Islanders best offensive player is ranked 76. I think that speaks more to the type of style of game that they play. Oh, yeah. They play and- defensively based. So you, you look at a guy like, I mean, Pellick's not going to be rated that high, but he should be. But it's also about defense, so it's about players that rack up goals and assists. Yeah, fantasy it's hockey is a it's a bad indication of defensive defensemen. Yeah, you're picking an offensive defenseman. You don't even care if they can play a lick of defense. You don't care at all. I mean, I don't know if one of the stats is – is there even any defensive stats? I, I know that plus minus might take into consideration, but this kind of sounds like the uh, Norris Trophy voting. Yeah, exactly. That's the, I was going to relate it to exactly that. You're taking guys that are offensive defensemen. Not def- they could be a great defensive defenseman. That's not helping you win your fantasy championship. I mean, in terms of that, right? I think that Jacob Slavin should have gotten Norris votes. I'm not sure if he did, but just the level of so defensive good. ability that he has, he gets so undervalued because he doesn't score 45, 50 points a year. But he doesn't have to because nobody else is scoring that many against him. So I think that they got to start taking that into consideration regarding the Norris Trophy. Fantasy is a little harder to do that. But moving on to the top three for each team, I know that you went a couple more mainstream picks than I did. I was trying to keep it off the radar, you know, maybe look like a genius come six months from now. But I picked Igor Shesterkin for the New York Rangers, Capo Caco and Adam Fox as well. To me, Capo Caco getting that bump up to the line with Panarin immediately jumps his stock. You know he's going to get more opportunities there. Uh, when you look at Igor Shesterkin, he's going to be the starter. He's going to get more wins. He's going to face a lot of shots. And Adam Fox had a great rookie season and I think only gets better offensively as well. For the Islanders, I took Brock Nelson, Anders Lee, and Ryan Pulak. We talked about Pulak's value without Devon Taves. I think his value just increases with the amount of points he's going to score. Lee, I think, is over 20 goals again. And Nelson, I just like his game. I like how he gets to the front of the net. So those are my three for the Islanders. Yeah, so for me, I went with – I mean, you can't go wrong with Panarin. I know you wanted to keep it more under the yeah. radar, but Panarin flat out is an unreal talent, and he's going to rack up points for you in fantasy. D'Angelo, for me, I mean, he was uh, unreal this yeah. year. Defen- uh, not de- Well, defensively, we saw in the playoffs what happens when Ajo goes one-on-one on him. But offensively, which is all you care about in fantasy, he was a force to be reckoned with. I remember a game against the Islanders where he went – bar down after getting out of the penalty box. And I, that was the first time I really knew 
about him. I knew the name and I, I put the name to the face and said, oh, he could flat out shoot. And again, fantasy hockey. Um, I'll move on to the last one for the Rangers is Chris Kreider. He was hurt last season, but still scored 24 goals, registered 21 assists, and he's playing on a top line. Obviously, this Rangers offensive team, their top six are very, very strong. And he's, I think, a great pick. And then for the Islanders, go Matt Barzell. We just talked about him. I think that with a winger, uh, more suitable score, his um, ability is going to be up there with racking up many more assists, even more goals too, especially because if he's right now, he's got the spotlight on him. And I should have brought this up earlier. He's got the spotlight on him because he's the top guy on this line. But if they had a guy like a Hoffman, a line, even a guy like um, Palmieri, now the defense has to pay attention to them, which leaves him more wide open to take those shots, get more opportunities to shoot the puck. That's where I'll go with him. And then my last one, I'll agree with you, Brendan, with Brock Nelson. This is a this is a guy that worries me for fantasy for one reason. That's because he's a streaky player. But he scored 26 goals on 20 assists last year in 68 games played. He's going to just get those goals for you. I, I'm looking at his stats right now. He scored 20-plus goals in each of the last – Six season, he scored 19 goals in 2017, 2018. But besides that, this guy's 20 plus goals every year for you. I like his game as well. The thing for me is he just has to be as more consistent as he can be because that's been his problem. He's really, really good for a stretch, and then he's really, really not even existent for another stretch. So I think those picks are really good, though, for both sides. And maybe Brendan will have to hop on the fantasy hockey uh, wave and get it going. I'm definitely, I want to do it this year. You know, I, I haven't done it before and I think that now it's time, but to me, it's very interesting because I feel like the Rangers have more higher end fantasy guys just because their offensive production is through the roof. But when you look at the Islanders, these are the type of guys that you take in the late rounds that make or break a fantasy type of team. So they have value on both sides of the puck here. And, and I mean, the Rangers have more guys that'll go early on. I know Shesterkin was in the thirties in the rankings uh, Adam Fox is probably up there. Zabanajad's up there. Panarin's up there. And then you look at the Islanders, and if you can get somebody like a Brock Nelson in a later round, I mean, you're adding a 20-goal scorer. These guys still put the puck in the net. You could draft the whole entire Islander team late <laughs> if you wanted to. Well, yes. Like, I mean, you could. They're not – they don't have any high – which is – that's a good thing. You know, you look at drafting a team in NHL 21, and you want to get, oh, I want to get Barzell, and I want to get this, and I want to get that. They go early because the game – I mean – we're not basing, obviously. The ratings in the game are ridiculous, and players probably are a lot higher than they should be. But the fantasy rankings, a guy like Barzal is not going in the first, second round unless you have a diehard Islander fan. Yep. And that case, they'll jump on him maybe like eighth overall because they love the kid. But, I mean, 76, I'm not really good at math, but if you're on a 10-team league, what round is he going in? Five, well, six. It depends on how you value him. I mean, you're really not good at math because if you're basing it off the picks, he would be going the sixth pick of the seventh round, Stefan. I said five, six. <laughs> sixth pick of the seventh round. Seventh round. He's seventy-six, so it's ten times seven. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> but the one, the one pick that you have that throws me off a little bit because I'm not sure if I like him in fantasy is JG Pajot, and the reason I don't is I know how magnificent he was this postseason. But he's never had over 43 points in a regular season before. And he is one of those guys that will fly under the radar during the regular season. And then once he hears playoff hockey, wakes up. So he is on the third line. He's not going to have the same level of minutes. When he came to the Islanders, he had two goals in his seven regular season games, which is good. Uh, he had 40 and higher minutes with Ottawa. And I think that before we can draft him high and, and have value with him, we have to see what he does. If you take him later on, he has the ability to score. 
and to have points. But I think he's so much better in the postseason than regular season that fantasy hockey-wise doesn't provide as the same value. I would agree. My thing is how comfortable was he in the defensive system under trots after getting traded there? Did he have enough time to get his feet wet? We saw what happened when he had some more time in you know, the extended training camp before the bubble, and then he looked like another a new man. So my thing is if you can carry that into the regular season, especially if they get a guy like Duclair to play alongside him, someone he's had chemistry with, proven i mean barry trotz loves to roll four lines it's not just because you play on the first line I, the second line play more than the first line at times yep. the third line the same thing so i think that in trotz's system whether while it is defense heavy pajot's line can go out against the top line and get minutes each and every night and i think he could carry over but like you said it'll be interesting to see what happens when the season begins yeah definitely so we have to go to a commercial break now uh, but there are a lot of interesting players and fantasy options coming in this year's Fantasy Hockey League drafts. When we come back from these, this commercial break, we will dive into our top five jerseys in the league, home or away. We're not doing alternates. That will be next week. And we're also going to each touch on two, which we highly dislike. Uh, after that, we're going to go into regional vi division thoughts, some goalie rankings that I've done over the past couple of weeks, and we're going to go back to this date in NHL history. There's a lot of interesting things that have happened, so don't go anywhere and stay with us. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the BS Sports Show, everybody. I'm Brendan Azoff with Stefan Rosner, and now is when the fun begins. We're going to dive into the NHL jerseys, and this is always a big part of the discussion. Uh, the NHL has some interesting jerseys, some good, some bad, but there's always a few that stand out above the rest, and I think that Stefan and I have created a list of five, which you may all agree with a couple, but definitely no one is going to agree with all of them, which is the beauty of the league. So, Stefan, I'm going to kick it to you. We're going to put up the graphic with your top five jerseys and read it to us, buddy. All right. So first, I mean, this one is an iconic one. I think it was voted the best jersey of all time. So Chicago Blackhawks, their home red is just so beautiful. Love looking at it. I mean, you also think about the, the team. And when you think about the Blackhawks, you think of Taves, Kane, and then just wearing those jerseys, phenomenal. Number two for me. I think this could even pass as the best jersey in the league. What the Canes did, copying the Rangers a little bit, hmm. but what they did, I'm a big, uh, to start off, I'm a big fan of red, as you can <laughs> tell. I like red and white. I think it looks great. Red, white, and black, any mix of those. But the Canes jerseys, I'm a big fan of keeping it clean. Clean and straightforward. I think what they did, and they vastly improved their away jersey. I put them in number two. Number three, Vegas. White jersey for Vegas. I like it a lot better than their home jersey. I think it's clean. I like the colors. The logo just stands out to me completely. I'm a big fan of away jerseys more so than the homes, actually, because, I don't know, the just white. White on ice looks looks phenomenal. Number four for me, Detroit Red Wings. Again, it's clean look with the pants and that, the helmet. Just phenomenal jersey. I know the team is absolutely dreadful. So if you own a Detroit jersey, hopefully it says Lidstrom on the back of it and it's not someone from now. Maybe Larkin. Beautiful jersey, though. And number five, the Canadians. Again, it goes back to the history. You look at the Canadians' jersey, you know you're you're talking about a legendary, iconic franchise in the sport. Leaders with Stanley Cups, the great players to play for it. And I'm a big fan. You know, red and blue don't always go together. But the red and the blue here, the logo, I love the, the C and the H. 
Love that. That rounds out my top five. Yeah, I think uh, the common theme for us, I think, is original six. It's hard to beat those original sweaters, especially over time. They they hold the test of time. But the one question I have, I, I know that I'm biased. I like darker jerseys. I think they pop on the ice. I do agree with what you said about white, though. It, it looks slicker. And when you have the all-white gloves, which Vegas kind of has, it does look really nice. But why the away Vegas over the home? Again, I just – the way the white – the dark logo popping off, I like that a lot. I think with the, their home jersey, with the gold glove, I think it's it's a great jersey. But if we're thinking about our top five, I just think the white looks clean. In the same way, the Hurricanes home jerseys are nice. They're beautiful red jerseys. But at the same time, their wagers, I think, are just 10 times better. And same thing for Vegas. But, I mean, I'm not going to go wrong. The Vegas home jersey is a very nice jersey there. Alternates, ah. I'm not a fan. No, not really. But I'm a fan of the white. I don't know. I like the white a lot better. Right to the eye. I love it. Yeah. I mean, listen, that's a good top five. And we'll go to mine now. I also have the same number one with the Blackhawks. I know that the, the logo itself might be a little controversial now. But the color scheme is just so clean. And I think that when you play in Chicago and that that madhouse on Madison, as they call it, and the red pops, it's kind of like the Bulls. It just it, that that jersey itself is just one of the few that you see on the ice and go, "Wow, that is gorgeous to look at." Number two, I have the Maple Leafs home sweater. To me, that is just the one of the nicest jerseys I've ever seen. I'm a big fan of blue, and the way that the blue with white does pop on the ice, and it's another original six classic. You, you see, my first four are all original six. Number three, I also have Detroit. That one is my favorite. My favorite jersey of all time is actually their Stadium Series jersey with the D. That, I was going to say, that I like the D a lot better. That, than but this that was just so home fresh. away. I still love this jersey, but that D, you'll see that on my next list next week, definitely. Number four, the Rangers jersey. Sure, call me biased. But again, the blue, red, and white, the colors of America. I, I think that that is one of the cleaner jerseys on the ice. As you can see by my list, by the way, they're all home. I sold you on bias to the darker jerseys. But number five is a recent addition because the Calgary Flames just went to their all-retro look for both home and away for the full season. And the red with the gold trim, to me, is a very, very nice jersey. It rivals that of Chicago. I think the Chicago red and white pops a little more than the gold does, but that's still that Calgary Flames at five is a really nice jersey to look at. I was between the Flames and the Canadians, and I made the mistake of not knowing they were going to their retro until you brought it up and I wasn't going to steal it after that. So <laughs> I agree with your list. I'm not a huge fan of the Maple Leafs one. I'm not a fan of that many white stripes there. I think it's a little much. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. The, the one solid white stripe would have been maybe better, but I just that crest with the blue, I don't know. I just love it. I love it. There you go. Well, now we have ones that we, we hate. Well, uh, <laughs> this is... These are interesting because you have one that you hate, which I really like, but I'll, I'll let you kick it off. All right. Well, I'm, the Avalanche home, I think, is just a disaster. Just because, <laughs> like, looking at it, it's it's all right. But then when they wear their alternate with the C, it's and better. it's so much better, and it makes this one look so, like, why would you even wear this when you could be wearing that? That's why I don't like it. For the Wild, I was a big fan of their red ones before they went to this. And since they've gotten to this, they've just been terrible. And I'm not a huge – I like what they did. I like – you know, they, they had a stadium series jersey. Not as similar to this, but close. And I just – I don't know. The, I'm not a huge fan of green. So we'll start with that. And their, their jersey is pretty much green. <laughs> I love – I think their logo is so sick, and I think they could do a lot more creative things with that logo. 
I get the green. You want to match the 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 mouth and the the jaw of the animal. If you didn't know the wilds, it's an actual animal. There you go. There's yeah. also a forest in there. Um, but I like how they matched it here. I just think that there's so many better ways they could have gone. And I think having the red in it from their past jerseys was a great touch. Not so much with the green and the. I don't even think it's white. I think it's beige. It's, it's like cream. But yeah, I don't, that see, I like that color. I think that would be a cooler jersey if that was their primary color. I like white. <laughs> but you can't have a white home jersey. No, but if you made that <laughs> white there, it probably. Oh, you want that color. to be a white color? But they don't have white really in their logo. The it's it's cream. But where? I'm looking up the sun right now. <laughs> He's looking up the sun. I don't think it's a real sun for the purpose of no, it. No, but... no, it's not. I'm looking up the Minnesota Wild sun. I'm just gonna look back at their other logo real quick. First off, their sun's yellow. All right, well, I hate yellow on jerseys, as you're about to see. But but it's yellow, so it doesn't even match the, the cream-colored. So, I Why don't they just go back, like, keep the logo, but have that old Dallas Stars look? Uh, like, that, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, not when it was the Minnesota North Stars? Because okay. their color scheme's the same. So go a little bit, like, stricter with the green. Maybe pop it out with some white and black and, and call it a day. Or they even have red in it. Like, go red. It's- Go red. I, I'm the biggest uh, yeah, guy. I, for I can go see red. why you don't like it. Okay. I Let's mean, see. for I wouldn't. I think that these two are both nicer than the ones that I have. But that's my biased opinion, of course. I the ducks one, I just don't get <laughs> because they had the mighty ducks logo, which I think is a fan favorite. Yes, it's a little it's corny, sick. but that color scheme was so much better with the green. Like that's a good green. <laughs> <laughs> I know you just said you don't like green, but I thought that the Mighty Ducks green was a better green. Well, and do then, you, do you like this? Is it yellow? It's not yellow. You I don't know what it is. I think it's gold. St- Hold on. <laughs> you keep talking. I'm going to look up exactly <laughs> what color. I'm you look up the, the hex you. code of the yeah, uh, Anaheim honest. Ducks. But then, like, like we have just mentioned, I do not like gold. I don't like yellow, which is why the Vegas Golden Knights thirds. I think that they will be nice on the ice, but I just don't like it. And when I ever, every time I watch the Rangers play in Nashville, the only thing that I think of the whole entire game is, oh my God, there is so much yellow. I'm going to be blind. And it, it just is this jersey. I am just not a fan of. They should go back to their blue retro ones. Yes, I love those. I love those. And their white ones are fine. Like the white with the gold trim, I like. But this all yellow and then UC Soros's pads on top of it, I just get blinded. It's like I'm staring into an eclipse. So I'm sorry. I, I just These two jerseys just don't do it for me. By the way, the Ducks, it's metallic gold. It is gold, right? But if we were to compare that to the Vegas, go back to the Vegas away. Okay, let's, let's pull it up. Go back to the other one. I don't think it's the same. I think the Vegas one's darker, but then maybe that's not metallic gold. Maybe that's uh. Yeah, but look at the Vegas color scheme, right? How it's just cleaner. It's more organized. Then you go to the Ducks, and it's just like they did paint by number. <laughs> I don't think anybody planned it. I I, um, I don't know. I just I'm not a fan of those those two jerseys. But I mean the the five that we each had in our top five, we have a lot of original six, which are the classic ones. And I think that next week when we go into the retro or alternates. Some of these old-fashioned jerseys are going to make a comeback because we see it all the time in sports that what's old becomes new, and then they come out with these logos, and all of a sudden fans are like, wow, we really had it good. And then they'll switch back for 10 years, and all of a sudden fans will go, oh, we want something new again. And it's just the cycle of the jerseys. But there's some retro ones which should replace these two. 
So in the Vegas logo, it yeah. is regular gold and steel gray. For okay. Anaheim, if it loads, Anaheim's is orange, metallic gold, and silver and black. So it's not the same gold. I the Nashville point you made. I think that jersey's terrible. I think it's awful, and yeah. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of just yellow. If they added stripes to that, like some up, like you talk about Toronto's home where they have three white stripes. If they added three blue stripes, just get it's blinding. It is. I, I, I whatever. We'll move on next week though. Definitely tune in because those retro jerseys that we're gonna put up. I already know a couple I'm gonna use. And I have one that I wear every year on St. Patrick's Day, which is one of my favorite jerseys of all time. Yep, I love that jersey. That'll be making an appearance on that list. But moving on quick, I've done the goalie rankings now for three of the four divisions. The Pacific is the last and final one. It should be out in a couple of days. I was wondering what your takes were on on my goalie rankings and who I had first in every division. I know that you you were surprised that I put Tristan Jari at two. And I went over the numbers. You're still not completely sold on that. But what were your takes on some of those rankings? Yeah, well, if you want to say them real quick, because I have a short-term memory, Brendan. So who'd you have for the top of each? One second while this phone rings in the background, Stefan. You have a first caller? <laughs> I wish we had callers. We got to get that on. But I'll try to talk through the background noise. Uh, my rankings for the Metro, it was Carter Hart at one, Jari at two, Igor Shesterkin at three. That's the top three there. For the... Uh, Central Division, which to me was one of the harder ones to rank because it's really just a dog pile after the top three. Uh, I had the reigning Vesna winner now, Connor Hellebuck, at one. I had Bennington at three, Bishop at two. So I, I know that that's the one I really wanted to get your take on because I know you're not a huge fan of Bennington. But where where would you have ranked him if you did your own rankings? <sighs> where would I have ranked Bennington? Okay, so I'm looking at it as this is a weak, a weaker division for goaltenders. You look at Chicago doesn't have a goalie. It's Malcolm Subban, so clearly that's your last guy you put. Um, Minnesota doesn't really have – they have Cam Talib, but It's so tough because you also ranked Pecorine high, right? No, no. I don't even have him as a starter. Oh, good. We already talked about this because he's – yeah. He's, I have UC yeah. Soros at five after Grubauer in that division. I mean, I guess, yeah, you got to put Bennington. F- I mean, his numbers were have, solid. Okay. Yeah, and with the lack of depth, uh, to me, that's the only spot to fit. Uh, as a week, looking at the weak division that it is with goaltenders, yeah, you got to put him three. I, I just don't think he's, he's going to be anything special, but compared to everybody else on the other half of that list, do I think Pecorini has a better year than Bennington? I personally believe so. I don't think it could be that much worse. And if Pecorini does have a bad year again, he's done. It's over. And But right now, they went with Saros in the playoffs. So the question is, do they roll with him or Rene? And that'll be the tough decision for a guy that's played, yep. been that franchise guy for such a long time. But it's I like your list. You bat me with the Jari pick. I was hesitant at first. You told me your stats and the reasons why. So I'm I'm sold. I'm sold. The but- the other aspect of that division, which obviously you're a goalie, so when I watch it, I look for save stats. And I, I could look at positioning because I know the game, but you play it. So you know that stuff better than me. I had Blackwood 4 and Corpus Allo 5. And I was wondering what your take was. I value how young Blackwood still is and the team that was in front of him. So his numbers, I think, will be better as the team gets better. 
And I just think he's going to be good and benefit from Crawford. So that's why I put him there. But at the same time, the Metro division is the opposite of the central where it might not be the biggest brand names, but that goaltending is just talented. I mean, the last ranked goalie is Peter Morozik, and we saw what he did in the postseason. Yeah. So you look for me, talking about Blackwood and Corpusello, I would have to agree with your pick for the reason being that, you know, I don't know what their goal saved above average was. I'm assuming Corpusello's was a lot higher, given the fact that he had to be that be that guy every second and the devils weren't a great team. I'm not it was sure. not. It wasn't? Okay. I was gonna say that because with the GSAA stat, you look at it and, yes, they're making these saves that no other goalies are making in the league. They're robbing left and right. But then you look at it and, well, why are they having to do that? Yeah. Is their rebound control off? That would be my first thing is, great, uh, Vasilevsky or Rast, their, their goals saved above average is, what, north of 20, I think, for both of them. Yeah. That's all amazing and well. But if you don't control the first rebound, of course, if you're going to make the save, it's going to be a high-danger chance. Uh, you're stopping a scoring opportunity and your GSA is going to rise. But I learned one lesson when I was younger from my goalie coach who we had on, Chris Testa. It, I had a practice right after the first day that – was Chris Johnson is the name of the goalie? No, Chad Johnson. Chad Johnson, yeah, yeah. His first game was an Islander. He, I think it was a 2 nothing shutout. He made like 20 saves. And my coach said to me, what do you think of his performance? I said, boring. He said, correct. But you want to be boring. <laughs> yeah. His goal saved above average might be zero, might be one but it's because he had so much control of where the puck was going that there was no high danger opportunities. He ate everything that came to him. He hit everything to the corners, simple game like that. So I think for a guy like Blackwood who needs a lot of support, the blue jackets are very good on the back end, I believe. And Corpusella makes, that's another thing too, is how good is the defense is Corpusella making those diving saves because he has to because of his team in front of him or because of the mistakes he makes. And I think that goes back to, years in the league and having that. So I, I agree with Blackwood being ahead of it because he's such a young guy. They're both young, but he's younger. He's got Crawford. I think he's going to have more success this year, and I agree with your pick. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I think if I'm doing this list again in, say, a year from now or even a midseason rankings, I take the goals saved above average, and I might change that for expected goals against uh, – expected goals allowed versus how much they should be allowing, you know, that type of stat, because I think that tells more of a story. Obviously, the high danger save percentage, you want to be up there because that means you're robbing players or like you said, you're giving up rebounds but recovering. But if you're expected to give up you know, 30 goals and you give up 34, even if your high danger save percentage is high, that, that you're letting your team down. So I think that if I had to do it all again, I would pick that one. But uh, do, just basing it off the numbers, Corpusella only had a one uh, goal saved above average in the regular season, but turned it up in the postseason. Yeah, playoffs, we clearly yeah. know that, that number skyrocketed. Exactly. So – Moving on, the NHL Rewind, which we'll do right now, on this date in history, and we just happened to be doing it on October 27th, <laughs> but we couldn't have picked a better date if we tried because the stuff that has gone on today, and we'll save the best for last, but the first is in 1973. On this date, the Islanders beat the Rangers 3-2 to two for their first ever win against the Blue Shirts in their second year in the NHL. And it's crazy to think that 1973 was their second year and that was their first win, but... On this date, the Islanders got the job done. And as we've seen in recent history, up until last year at least, the Islanders had dominated that rivalry for at least five or six years. And Yaroslav Halak against Henrik Lundqvist, oh, my God. <laughs> that probably was the most celebrated Ranger Islander, uh, Islander victory ever against the Rangers. That's a complete underdog. They were 0-6 in their first campaign against them. Yep. They win one and go, holy crap. We can do it. Let's go. Hey, hi. I mean – 
Great. And expansion teams didn't have the success that Vegas had. You know, they, they struggled because they didn't get the players like that. But yes, moving on in 1988 now, the Quebec Nordiques. Yes, the Quebec Nordiques, another retro jersey that might be featured next week. Joe Sackick scores in a 6-2 to loss against the Bruins. He became the first NHL rookie to have points in each of his first 11 games. Still That's lost. crazy. Yes, they lost, but a rookie, an 11 straight point uh, game point streak to start your career. Like we oh, yeah. talk about Matthews had four goals in one game, right? I in his opening that game. game. That was crazy. That was they, one of the craziest opening games. I've and ever they seen. lost. Did they? I'm pretty sure they lost that. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure they did. I don't know. It was. I know it was a close game. I know that. They might have lost, but I was sitting there going, wow, this kid's legit. Now imagine you don't score four in one game, but you have points in 11 straight. I mean, that's like coming into the league and going, yeah, I know I'm better than all of you already at 18. I'm pretty sure they lost to the Senators in overtime. If my memory... Um, Are you looking it up right now? Yeah, I'm trying okay. to. Well, while you're looking it up, I will move on to 2014, which we saw on the Rangers MSG channel today. The Rangers were down 3 nothing to the Minnesota Wild and erased that deficit by scoring five goals in the third period, capped off by Matt Zuccarello. And I remember watching that game live thinking, all right, it's over. Turned it off at 3 nothing. got an alert that it was 3-1 and said, all right, maybe it'll pique my interest again. Minnesota wound up scoring again. And then before you know it, they scored and they, they were up and they held on to that lead. Crazy run of emotions right there. Did you find the final score? Yeah, they blew a lead and lost 5-4 in overtime to the centers. Wow. Uh, defense, it's been a problem. It's still a problem. I mean, that that must have been – was it in Toronto or in Ottawa? I don't remember. But regardless, I, that's, I feel that's like great, it was in Toronto. Terrible. Yeah, I think it was in front of the home crowd, and they just lost. So. so if you're a Toronto fan watching that game, obviously you want your team to win, but do you go, wow, Austin Matthews, our number one pick, just scored four? Or do you oh, say, not, you how do we care. lose that game? Oh, you don't even care about the loss. You're such on such a high watching because the goals he scored were filth. They were nah. great. I remember oh, he, he yeah. was absolutely nasty in that game. Yeah. His first one was coming down the wall. He stole the puck, right? And turned it. Yeah. I was like, this kid is how old doing that already? And uh, Arizona this is separate, native. He's an Arizona native. Exactly. And this is a separate note before we get on to our final one. I was watching the NHL network and they do those things where they work with certain players and they the players teach like the younger kids what they do. His stick is like an intermediate. He doesn't even use a senior normal size stick. It's so small. And he goes, this is how I get my quick release. I'm sitting there like, oh, my back hurts watching you bend down to shoot. But then you watch this guy walk into a wrist shot, pick a corner, and you go, hey, well, what works for you, right? I've never seen I've never seen a, a toe drag snapshot. It's just it's lethal. It's, it's lethal. We were watching a game. I know we have a couple of minutes. We were watching a game, though, in college, and he went bar down. I think he met somebody went bar down for the winner in overtime. I oh, the one the shot through the defenseman's legs. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember <laughs> our jaws just go. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to this last one, Brian. This is a mouthful, so you can go. This for one it. is from Hooked on Hockey. And when I read this, I, I sent it to you immediately. I was like, this has to be on the show. Uh the th- uh, the Devils and Hurricanes tied at three in the year two thousand. The Hurricanes extended their unbeaten streak at the time to an NHL best twenty-one in a row. Now, when you think about that, you go, oh, my God, 21 straight games without a loss. That's crazy. Well, when you realize that they were 4-0-17, it gets a little less crazy, and it was over the span of two seasons. So they won four of a possible 21 overtime periods. Uh, Wow. (laughs) It leaves you speechless. That's absurd. (laughs) That is is 
Great, you got the points, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. So my my question, right, as a team, when you're winning and you're on a five-game winning streak, you feel great. Now, they weren't losing, but they weren't winning. No, so, it's, a, it's a losing streak to me. They went, yeah. four and, they went four and 17. They, I looked it up. They finished in eighth place in the Eastern Conference that year and just made the playoffs. Now, imagine instead of 4-0-17, they started the year and they won five of those games instead of going like 2-0-3 and or whatever it was. Now all of a sudden they're a seven or six seed, so they kind of hurt themselves by just losing in overtime. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't imagine. I can't imagine being in that locker room because I don't know if the four wins came. If the four wins came in a row, that sucks. And then you drop your next seventeen in overtime. You know how I, grueling that is. I, I don't know if that's what happened, but I can guarantee you, you will never see anything like that again. Completely, completely agree. Well, we are out of time. This was a great episode, great show this week. Next week, we're going to do more Jersey stuff. Hopefully, there's some news that breaks, some more signings. We talked about the free agents that are still out there. So hopefully, more things happen, and we can't wait for next week. We will talk to you guys then. See you guys. Thank you.